This Wellness Couch podcast proudly brought to you by the Nourish Me Organics Gut Health Gurus podcast hosted by food scientist Kribben Govinda. If you're fascinated by all things gut health, the microbiome, fermented foods, mental health, mitochondrial health and more, then search for the Nourish Me Organics Gut Health Gurus podcast on your favorite podcast app and get listening. This podcast is very proudly brought to you by my new book, From Peasant's Food to Superfoods. This book is based on cooking for the entire family and it guides cooks from all experiences on how to integrate healthy foods into everyday life. I know it's easy to stick to the same old things every week with a family to feed and a budget to stick to, but eating nutritious and delicious food every night is achievable and affordable. Learning how to use, prepare, and incorporate new and old ingredients into tasty and exciting food is what I love doing. So I have put this book together. It's over 300 pages. There's over 100 simple, nutritious recipes, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, desserts. Most of it's gluten-free, dairy-free. It's very gut-healing, very anti-inflammatory, and I hope that you will love it as much as I have, putting it together and (laughs) bringing it to life. So if you would like to check it out, learn more, or order it, jump online at www.mgherbs.com.au. And thanks for bringing us the podcast today. You're listening to Melissa Gearing, the Naked Naturopath. Mel is a qualified naturopath, herbalist, and nutritionist. She can't wait to share her thoughts on all things health and wellness with you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Naked Naturopath. Today on the podcast, I have an internationally acclaimed nutritionist and a fellow wellness couch podcaster. Cindy O'Meara is the founder of the whole food company, Changing Habits, and I have her books in the clinic as well as loads of her products, which uh, lots of you would have seen. She's the author of Changing Habits, Changing Lives, and she's also a documentary creator of What's With Wheat, uh, which is a cool doctor I watched a couple of years ago, and you can um, check it out in the clinic as well or jump on her website. Cindy is well-researched in um, health globally, and she has done loads of different talks, which I have been to many times The first time I ever went to a talk with Cindy, I actually printed off some of the slides that she had and laminated them and hung them up in the clinic. Um, So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, Cindy. Welcome. Thank you, Melissa. (laughs) It's nice to know that you liked my slides. (laughs) I did like your slides. You know, as a a naturopath, um, I was kind of You know, I wasn't taught, but I was encouraged to fly under the radar. And the first time I ever went and seen you talk, oh, it makes me feel a little bit emotional now. Um, You really just were out there with it. You know, eggs don't cause high cholesterol. And you had this beautiful slide on it um, with a frowny face egg and a a smiley face egg. um, And I think it was like the Time magazine. And Mm. I just, it just spoke to me. I was like, why aren't we just out and proud and teaching people the truth about nutrition? And that's what you do and why I love you. (laughs) Thank you. You know what, if if we we always... I'm going to quote Brene Brown here, but, you know, to be courageous, you also have to be vulnerable. And and by putting those things up there in the face of, you know, the rest of people out there going, this is wrong, cholesterol's bad, Um, eggs cause high cholesterol, saturated fat is bad, you know. So when you are the person that is doing that, you know, you're very vulnerable to attack. But but it also leads to your courage. Um, and I'm just not somebody who wants to sit back and, and not let people know. And mm. for me, it started as a, like, I started as 
myself. That's where it started. I'm going to change the things that I do and I'm going to educate myself and I'm going to learn. And then it, I became a consultant in nutrition um, after my degree. And so then it was saying it to one-on-one and then I started to speak. So it was maybe to five-on-one. And then by the time the book came out, you know, it was thousands on one. And now, you know, with the internet and everything like that, Mm. you, you can reach thousands and thousands and thousands. One person can do that. So in effect, you are affecting many people to make changes and not even knowing that that's what you're doing. But to put yourself out there, a lot of people come up to me after they do my course and they go, I'm just not sure I want to talk, Cindy. I just want to do one-on-one. I said, that's fine. We need the one-on-ones. It's It depends on where you want to be in that realm. But I think it's time that if we know, we need to start speaking up because we are slowly having many things taken away from us and there's a very sleepy population out there that don't even realise what is happening. They don't know what they're eating. They don't know what they're consuming. They're being fed misinformation about um you know, food, Mm. what they think is a health food, when I look at it, you know, especially when you go down the health food aisle of our major supermarkets, most of that stuff I wouldn't put in my trolley, Mm. not that I even put anything in my trolley these days, everything comes from the farm. Yes, (laughs) which is amazing. Yeah. But, you know, like for those who don't have that um, opportunity and they are just trying to do the best that they can, I noticed that you are doing some educational stuff on food labelling and health foods that aren't really health foods. Um, Um, Tell me a little bit more about that road for you. Yeah, you know, when I I wrote my book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, back Mm in the 90s, so Mm -hmm. it started in the early 90s, 95, I rehashed it and bought it out again, and by 98, it it was out there, and and back then it was numbers, you know, what's 101, what's Mm -hmm. 110, what's, you know, it was all about the numbering system, but, and the And the people that were talking about it, like me, were saying, hey, stay away from the numbers 100 to 110 in food colours. Stay away from the antioxidants 300 to 345, you know, or they would pick out certain numbers. And the food industry realised that people were avoiding buying their foods because of the numbering system. So 621 was MSG, you knew not to eat that, uh, and, and so on. And so what they did was that they've created this new thing, and it's it's not known to the public, it's only known to the chemical manufacturers who make these additives, and it's called clean labelling. And clean labelling is where they change the name of the number into a food. So, for instance, BHA and BHT are synthetically made antioxidants to preserve the food. It's a preservative, mm-hmm. but it's synthetically made. Uh, you know, research shows that it causes cancer in rats at a certain wow. percentage. So they've renamed it rosemary extract. Yes, I've seen this, yeah. And you, you look at it and you see celery powder, rosemary extract, herb and spice extracts. Mm. Um, you might see yeast extract. Like you see it all the time now and it's got the food as the first name and then it has it as an extract. So when I first saw this, and I first saw this on breakfast cereal, and I and because I'm always reading the ingredients of things, I never buy it. But you'll find me wandering through supermarkets reading ingredients because that's where I find what the food industry is up to. So I I found it on some breakfast cereal as rosemary extract and I went, what is rosemary extract? What is it? 
you know, that, that, that they're doing. Yeah. So I, I'm a, a patent reader. So I go, because you're never going to read it on a spec sheet. So when you buy a product um, to manufacture food, and this is where <coughs> people have to realize that the ones that are lying are not so much the food manufacturer who says, um, I've made this cured meat with natural ingredients, which includes celery powder, rosemary extract, and spice and herb extracts. And they actually believe that they are doing the right thing because they're using an alternative. And so, so when you look at how they're, they're the food manufacturers are doing it is that the only way you're going to figure this out is not get the spec sheet because the spec sheet will just say, mm. hey, it's 5% rosemary extract and 95%, you know, whatever the carrier is. Mm -hmm. But when you go to the patent, then because they want to patent and make money from their, this new process, they have to register the patent and it's public knowledge. So I just go in there and I read it and it's like reading a science, a very complicated science article, but I've, I generally get the gist of what it is. And so the extraction process is diabolical. The, the chemicals that they use will, you know, does, is it pure or are those chemicals still within that 5% rosemary extract? So like just recently there's a new product on the market, a new chemical on the market, and uh, Impossible Burger has patented it. So this is the new um, meatless meat. So I've heard people – I haven't tasted it. I don't want to taste it. But I've heard people who are meat eaters taste it, this Impossible Burger mm. or Beyond Meat, um, and they taste it and they go, it tastes like meat. It's like you wouldn't know what the difference is. So I look at the ingredients of it and um, I notice this this new word I'd never seen before. Mm. Like all the rest of the words I understood in the ingredients, but mm. there was this new one and it was called soya leg hemoglobin. Globin. Mm. So, yeah, this is the this is what it is. And this is what Impossible Meat has patented. Um, so it, it basically says, or Impossible Burger, sorry, Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger, that's right. <laughs> so they've patented this. I always forget their names. They have patented this and they say that this is their piece de resistance. This is the thing that makes the plants that they've put in the ingredients, which are all not whole foods, they are all extracts or something like that, this is what makes it taste like meat because it's got the heme in it. It's got the iron molecule in it. So I looked up the patent on it. Oh, my goodness. I read it and I just went, how did they figure this out? These guys are masters, absolute masters. So let me explain to you, first of all, what a natural soya lega hemoglobin is. So on the root of the soya plant, so the part that we do not consume, mm -hmm. there is this um, legume hemoglobin and that, and they've just um, shortened it to lega hemoglobin. But it's a, it's the legume, so it can be on a soya, it can be on a lentil, but it's on the root and it holds the iron. And, it, and all plants and animals hold these iron molecules. And they figured out how they figured it out, but they figured out how to take the gene that makes that soya or, or the legume hemoglobin so they've figured out the gene that creates that. Oh my God. They've extracted it from the soya and they've given it to yeast. So they've given it to a yeast and that yeast then produces 
the soya the soya lega hemoglobin. And it tastes like and blood. Yeah. Oh, so no. that, this is how they do it because they, then they say, they say, well, we don't want to destroy the land by producing a heap of soya plants and then extracting that off there. So we've figured out, and, and when you read their marketing speak, it's, oh, that makes sense, you know. Mm. We'll just implant that legume um, gene into a yeast and we'll get the yeast to extract it or make it. So then the yeast makes it, they extract it off the yeast, mm. and then and then what they do is that they add it to a substrate and they can add it to anywhere between 1 and 100 substrates. And these substrates could be anything from wheat-based glucose to an amino acid. It just depends on the taste that they want. And they've figured out that a combination of different substrates with this soya lega hemoglobin mm-hmm. creates volatile aromatic compounds. And these um, these aromatic compounds can be bison, chicken, uh, meat like beef, lamb, uh, anything you want it to be. Um, they have figured this out. So it's a matter of combinations of this heme group with the substrates that then give off these aromatic um, volatile um, molecules, which are chemicals. And then they can take these volatile molecules out and then that um, can be what gives you the flavour and the taste along with the heme group. It must have the heme in there, the iron in there. Mm. But, you know, one of the things that blew me away when I um, was reading the patent is that sometimes they'll put uh, minced chicken or minced beef as part of the substrate to make the volatile chemical. So I'm like going, here's all these people eating impossible burgers or whatever they are, and they don't realise that that this process is going on and that they're sometimes, not always, but sometimes the substrate or the heating process, they will add the chicken to it to make it more beefy, believe it or not, because I've read the whole thing. You should read it. It's it's incredible. <laughs> I don't even know that I would understand it because that it it's just so far so far fetched. Like <laughs> we're talking about food still, right? Like that's it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And so this is to create a vegan meat. Um, yes. yes, right. And so yes. you're saying that they are at at some base level using uh, meat products to create a vegan meat sometimes not always but sometimes and sometimes they'll just use a complete chemical Mm. that they've produced in in the you know in the laboratory and then it's those volatile um you know acids that Mm. are are produced that help with the flavor like it's it's incredible like you they are masters unbelievable masters when you read these patents you go how did they figure this out they're so smart but they're so smart that they're increasing the health issues that we're having today absolutely because people think they're eating the product they think it's real because it smells like it it looks like it, and it tastes like it but it's not and when you look at the workings of the body and when you look at the vitalism and you look at the anthropological principles of how our body worked and how we um, got food, it was all light-based and our mitochondria need light. 
our food needs light. If there's no light that has produced the food, photosynthesis is at the beginning of our food production. If that's not happening, well, how do we know what that is actually doing to our mitochondria if that light factor is not in it? And that's just looking at a very energetic and wave particle, um, which is what we are. We're energy, we're wave particles, we're atoms. How do we know what that's doing to the very essence of the human body or, or, or of anything? But I, I just have to just go back to this heme molecule because one of the things that we're now realising in science is that science has never settled and that what we thought 20 years ago about heart disease and cholesterol being a marker for it is now seen as a big joke. Mm. And what they're actually seeing now that there are better markers, and, and this may change in 20 years, but I'm just going to tell you what the current research is. So one of the best markers of heart disease, and now insurance companies are even getting in on this because of its accuracy, is the calcium score that you can get. And that's through um, an, an imaging machine that you can get the calcium score. And a calcium score between 0 and 400 is um, zero, of course, is you have chances of you having a heart attack is almost zero. 400, your chances are increasing. By 1,000, the possibility is there. Um, and it's, it's real accuracy. But the other marker that they're finding is ferritin. So high ferritin also show is showing promise as a marker, a biochemical marker of heart attack and mm. heart disease. So here we have ferritin. Let me explain what ferritin is so for your listeners. So ferritin is the storage of iron in our body. So it will take iron and store it and it will release iron if you need to use it. And iron is cycled within the body. Sometimes you release some um, and if the body's working really well, um, you know, you will release iron because you, the body knows it's getting it. So all of a sudden we now have this thing called ligahem, a globulin, which is the iron group that is being produced like I've just explained it to you. People are going to be eating more and more iron, I'm assuming. I don't I don't know, but my assumption is, is that they're going plant-based and this thing is in there. I'm going to be really interested in seeing what people's ferritin levels are going to start to go mm -hmm. to. Because if the body, you know, they're, they're talking about how much you're storing, um, you shouldn't be storing a lot of it it should be in circulation so like I said this is new science mm. this is new information um I'm still watching it um and just you know looking at it and seeing what it is but it's becoming it's in the science you can go to PubMed put in ferritin heart disease and just have a look what's happening there in the science and it's quite incredible so it's actually being a better marker for those two together in combination are better markers for heart disease than, you know, what we've always said, which mm. is cholesterol, which then sense. throws statins in the in the trash yeah. can. <laughs> <laughs> which would be great. That would be yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So this is kind of what you're getting your teeth into lately. It's so juicy, but it's so – Is that a pun there? Was yes. that a really good pun? A, a juicy, juicy meat, meat. Pun. <laughs> <laughs> but not even. It's not even juicy meat. You'd be yeah. so much better off to have a beautiful grass-fed steak, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, you would. At like, least your body knows what to do with that too. 
Yeah, and and this is a billion-dollar market Mm -hmm. and people don't realise that. And there's a real push to it at the moment. Climate change is talking about it. You know, animal activists are talking about it. And I just think that we have to be cautious Mm. and realise that this is manufactured. And, you know, they're talking about also manufacturing meat cells in a laboratory. Well, I don't even know enough about that to even discuss that. Mm. I can just talk to you about by what's on the mark in the market at the moment. And by the way, the FDA have just approved this chemical. Wow. Um, so it will not only just be bought as um, in Whoppers and, you know, all those burger chain places, yeah. but it's going to be sold in supermarkets. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so it's been approved for that. The FDA approved it a couple of days ago as we speak right now. Mm. I just feel shocked. Like I, I'm in this industry and I know – I know there's so many faux foods on the market and, and people know, like you said, to look out for some of those startling, the numbers and the and the additives and all that, the bits and pieces, but this is so insidious. And the disguising, the disguising of, of labelling, you know, like we've had such, such a push to try and get labelling to be better, um, you know, with with even just sugar, you know, like separating the sugars out in, in foods so that we know what's a natural source of sugar and and what's been added and what's fructose and what's sucrose and all that kind of stuff. And and it just feels so wrong. <laughs> like it feels like I'm trying to be, you know, like the general public is trying, uh, they're trying to trick, trick people mm-hmm. into buying those foods. And that's, it's a real shame because mm-hmm. the way you just described it, lots of people will be going, well, how the hell am I, are you meant to look? How the hell are you meant to read a label and know what is in it, what's food, what's not? What should I not be eating? Yeah. And and when you look at food, the common ingredients are always in there. Well, I can't call them ingredients. I can only call them yeah. a, a shitstorm of chemicals, excuse me, but that's <laughs> all they are. So if you look at natural flavour and everyone's going to go, oh, it's a natural flavour, and the mm. new word that's coming out is natural aroma. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing that on food labelling at the moment because people are now getting, well, we know what natural flavour is, but natural aroma? Oh, okay, that must be okay. So there's this it sounds attractive. changing, they keep moving the, the, the goalpost yes. and you've just got to start going, well, I've got to keep ahead of that goalpost and how am I going to keep ahead of it? Well, I can tell you now that I will keep you ahead of it. That, that's what I do. I keep people so ahead of what is happening out there. But the natural flavouring, if we look at that, natural flavouring is 48 plus chemicals that they've made in a chemical laboratory that they've figured out if they mix them together and there's excipients and there's, um, you know, aroma enhancers and flavours enhancers and there's all sorts of stuff in them. But you just don't go there. Just don't go with the natural flavours or the natural colours. You know, there's like six chemicals in a natural colour, including propylene glycol and polysorbate 80. And and these are there for um, emulsifying and keeping all the chemicals together and making sure the colour doesn't fade and... And we look at citric acid. You know, once upon a time, we thought, well, citric acid is something that is um, come come from citrus. Mm. You know, that's what you conjure up, but it's not anymore. It's a genetically modified mold that they've figured out 
what they, I don't know if it comes out of the citrus, the, the I haven't looked into it that big enough, but it's probably something that they're taking out of the citrus that makes the citric acid. Mm. They're implanting it into the mould and then the mould makes it and then they um, collect that. But they've got to do some other processing after it because about, I think it was 20 years ago, L-tryptophan was being made by genetically modified bacteria uh, and it, the bacteria that had been genetically modified to make the tryptophan also produced a toxin that the J Japanese manufacturers didn't know was being produced. Mm -hmm. So they collected the tryptophan, not realising the toxin was in there, put it into supplements, and 100 people died as wow. a result of it. So that was back in the early days. And mm -hmm. they've become smarter. They realise that, you know, the yeast or the mould might do something in order to counteract what you've done to it and they have to be very careful and have to purify it. So then there's that purification and, you know, just it, it's incredible how many of these ingredients I see all the time in just about every product from cereals to – because there's always an acidity regulator, there's always a preservative, there's always an antioxidant, there's always a flavour and there's always a colour. Mm. And it's a matter of going, am I going to be part of this human experiment that the food manufacturing um, companies are doing or do I choose to make a stand and support my local farmers? So if you don't have a farm, there is a way of supporting mm -hmm. your local farmers. There is community-supported agriculture. So there are farmers out there that send, give you a box every week. They deliver it, cost you like $60 for, a, you know, a box of vegetables that will feed two people for the whole week. Um, and that's the fruits and vegetables. And you might find a butcher that is only buying, you know, locally produced organic beef that's around you. Then find your local dairy. And what will happen when this demand increases, you will find more and more farmers popping up in your local area that you can support. And by doing that, you then not only support your local economy and your local farmers, but you're actually affecting climate change and the way you affect climate change is that these farmers that love their soil and love their land are sequestering carbon um, by increasing the ecology of their soil and as they increase the ecology of their soil the more carbon that is sequestered then we're not going to have this you know whole thing and then if if um the cows are only eating grass they're not going to release methane it's only the grain fed cows that are releasing the methane you know this whole movement of plant-based away from our beautiful animals is is based on flawed science flawed information information that is is not correct and it's being perpetuated by a uh, grain industry hmm. that wants you to eat their monocultures soya wheat corn have a look at go like if anybody's listening right now go into your pantry right now bring out all the packages mm. and have a look if you see wheat soya or corn on everything and you will and it might say glucose but it's wheat-based glucose it might say dextrose or maltodextrose and it could be corn-based or wheat-based it might say soya lecithin or you know maize or starch or corn starch or wheat starch you know it's like they can make everything from those mm -hmm. three products and they're a powerful industry and they're the ones that started dietary guidelines mm -hmm. they're the ones that 
changed the dietary guidelines in the in the late 70s in America and in the early 80s in Australia. And um, they're a powerful industry that they don't want to stop doing what they're doing, you know. It's um, mm. it's about waking up. It's not being asleep anymore. And I always think once you know, you can't unknow this stuff. Yeah. And once you know this stuff, you can't okay. not act. Yeah. And you become the activist, the advocate of what's happening out there. Mm. If, you don't have to do it on a level that you're out there preaching to everyone. You can do it on a level by yourself and your family. Like you're saying, just buying local is going to make a huge difference, not only to like pe- people's health and their family's health, but also to the industry and to what's happening to this food industry. I mean, I think I was reading um, three quarters of our food in in the world is those three um, monocultures, you know, wheat, corn, mm-hmm. soy. That's three quarters yeah. of our entire food consumption was those three, um, like, yeah, grains or I guess, you know, whatever you want to call them. But, um, yeah pretty gross <laughs> well well it is and when you think that um when i did my documentary what's with wheat the statistic back in 2016 was that 11 billion um people could have been fed from wheat that's how much they made so there's not 11 billion <laughs> people on the planet it's wow. only you know 8 billion people going to 9 billion people on the planet um and they made that much wheat We didn't talk about corn and we didn't talk about soya, but I've flown over the cornfields and soya fields of the USA through the Midwest of Iowa and all through the wheat and corn and soy belt, and it's just, it's phenomenal. Mm. It's phenomenal. It goes forever. When you're looking down flying across America, you're looking at those fields and you realise how much is being grown. And once upon a time, those fields were um, bison. You know, the bison mm. and the buffalo were roaming them and they fertilised the land. What's happening now is that I remember in the 80s, um, I lived in America in the 80s, and I remember in the 80s there were concerts for farmers who had lost all their topsoil. And that was because they were doing the tilling and then they figured out Roundup and mm. Roundup then was no-till farming. But now they're destroying the ecology of the soil and so the nu- nutrients in the soil are now and the ecology of the soil is now decreasing, and so the quality of the food that they're growing is is not good. There's no nutrients in it. It's it's grown on NPK, and um, it's it's not even nutritious for our own health and well-being. And you look at what's been happening in the health, and as a naturopath, you would be seeing the phenomenal growth in chronic diseases in our children. And the Alzheimer's and dementia rates that are happening in our elderly and our middle-aged, um, and it's it's because of our we have no nutrients in our body to survive, and so what it's doing is it's shutting everything down so the physical body can survive, and and that's not even surviving with the mm-hmm. chronic diseases that we're seeing. You're so passionate about it, Cindy, and I love I love hearing you speak, and I've um, you know I've listened to your speak on glyphosate multiple times is there some is there a resource that we could send people to to find out more about the roundup yeah look um the, probably the best thing is to watch the documentary what's with wheat yeah, and it will cool. give it, you a, a a little bit of a peek into what roundup does to our our body and mm. to the food and i i've also written articles on it so they could probably go to changinghabits.com.au and just um, put in glyphosate and Roundup 
and there'll be more information on it. I've also done many talks on it. I've um, got PowerPoints around. So, you know, there there is a lot out there. I follow um, some really passionate people. I follow Dr. Don Huber. I interviewed him for two hours and he mm-hmm. talked about GMOs and Roundup. Uh, he was incredible. Like This is a man... Let, let me just give you a brief on this. Is that okay? Do you want to talk yeah. about this just a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this is a gentleman. He's in his 80s, and he, he has been of service to the American Armed Forces his whole life. He was in the highest insecurity. He's, um, his main thing was biosecurity. He, he started his life in agriculture, but he worked in biosecurity. And in 2011, he wrote a letter to the U.S. Department of Agriculture because he saw a worrying trend with the GMO products and the Roundup that was being sprayed on them. So many genetically modified products such as Roundup Ready Soya and Roundup Ready um, Canola and Roundup Ready Alfalfa, the reason they're called Roundup Ready is that they've had a gene inserted into them that creates a different enzymatic pathway than the one that Roundup attacks Mm. in all other plants and um, bacteria and fungi. So they've had this um, bacteria that does a different biochemical pathway inserted into them, and that's why you can spray as much Roundup on them and the plant won't die. All other plants will die because Roundup is a a broad-spectrum herbicide. It will kill weeds, plants, wheat it kills it kills everything so he was noticing a worrying trend in animals that were consuming these grains animals that were sprayed that the the roundup was being sprayed around them there was spontaneous abortions um infertility and a wasting disease and when he looked down his microscope he was recognizing that there was a a pathogen that he'd never seen before that was um, absolutely fired up by Roundup or glyphosate. And he wrote this letter in 2011 to the USDA. Now, this is full clearance security man. This is he's fought biochemical warfare from anthrax and everything. And he was seeing a biochemical warfare in our agriculture and he was concerned. So he writes this letter to the USDA and they decimated him. They discredited him. They, and this is in his 70s, full service, full everything, and and basically wanted to hide what he was saying because they've got their, their pockets are with the food industry. And he was asking for a monitorium on more GMOs and more Roundup Ready GMOs. That's what he was asking the USDA to do. So I had the opportunity to meet him. He came to my farm. He had heard what I was doing in Australia. He came to my farm. And, yeah, it was an honour. It was one of the biggest honours of my life. And and then I asked him could I interview him, and so we interviewed him. I interviewed him for two hours, and I've given it to my students because, you know, we talk about – Um, GMOs in the course, in my nutrition course, and that is part of what is happening with, you know, so that they understand what is happening in GMOs. Mm. Wow, amazing, amazing. Mm. And where is the interview, Cindy? 
Um, he's at Purdue University in um, America. So you just have to look up Dr. Don Huber, mm-hmm. Purdue University. Um, I would look up and just put up his letter to the USDA. Have a read of it. Wow. It's scary. Um, it's a- available for public reading. Right. So he's really good to follow. I also follow Robert Kennedy. He is the one of the solicitors, or I think he's the head lawyer, that is suing Bayer and Monsanto Mm -hmm. um, for their non-disclosure of the danger of Roundup to humans, especially uh, for producing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. So they've had four cases against them already. The first case was... um, the guy was given $289 million. second case $80 million. The third case was two people, a couple, that had used Roundup for 30 years of their life, um, both got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma together, and they were awarded $2 billion. Now, of course, those amounts have been reduced, but there are, I think I read, 17,800 more plaintiffs waiting for their day in court because they have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and they have been... Um, you know, spraying Roundup. Wow. So this is Bayer, you know. Yeah. So he's worth following. I follow him on Instagram, Robert Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Moms Across America, I love them. There are other people worth following with regards to Roundup and, and glyphosate. So these are people fighting for our rights um, to stop the spraying. And, mm-hmm. and I do it too, so you can follow me as well. Yeah. <laughs> My Instagram is changing habits, changing un underscore habits I think it is um so you can follow me because you know I, I do do a lot of ad, um, advocacy and a lot of activism um on my local council with this yeah. <laughs> as well as our um um our regulatory body which is the Australian um, Pesticide and Veterinary Medicine Authority who have um regulated 596 glyphosate containing products in Australia and they don't intend on cancelling any of them mm. so we just have to be aware, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's our agriculture we're talking about right now. And before I was talking about our food manufacturing. Yeah. So not only is our agriculture in a very bad state of affairs, but so is food manufacturing. Yeah. So the answer is to support those farmers that are doing regen agriculture um, and they are growing by the by the day. They are growing and I support them in every way. I don't go to my grocery store anymore. Like the only time I go into the grocery store is to read labels and um, if I run out of an ethical toilet paper, I might go in and get some toilet paper. So (laughs) it's rare for me to go in for any other reason and I support my local farmer's market, my community-supported agriculture I have my own farm um, and I, you know, in my garden um, I have my herbs growing. So it's – I know this – people will be just going, I don't have time, Cindy. I, I don't have the room. I, I don't – I can't do this. But you've got the box option, right, you mentioned. Yeah, you've got you, the box option and it's just one step at a time. It's totally. just going, okay, my fruit and veg, I can do this. And that's why I do the Nutrition Academy. I educate these people, and it's usually women. There are men that do the course, but it's usually women. I educate them about what's current in the science um, and how they're being duped by marketing and advertising. And, and, and you know, it's a science-based course. It's assessment. It's, it's, it's not a walk in the park. This is you will learn what you need to know in order to go out there and understand it. 
But the whole idea is to get these guys so passionate about what they're doing that they become the source in their community of, well, where is the CSA and where is my local farmer's market and where do I buy the best meat? And because that to me is far better than being prescribed a diet that has got protein powders and lean cuisine and healthy choice and calorie counting and, <laughs> oh, don't get me started and on that one. And like that course is about community well-being, like mm. rather than you reaching more people and then those people can teach their community and so on and so forth. Like that's a really beautiful way to do it and probably a more sustainable way than, you know, hoping that people listen to this podcast or hoping that people jump online and, and read the um the patents like you do <laughs> like that's, mm, yeah. that's a hard job so you've already leave, done leave that, that work. to me I'll yeah, tell you you've done the work <laughs> um so they can get onto your website and and find the nutrition academy Cindy yeah, yeah. they can they yeah. go to changinghabits.com.au and you can see education and it's called the nutrition academy and they can also hop on your website and link um to the things that you link to me as well you yeah. know because we're all in a collaboration together we're all here um to talk about this on each other's mm. podcast um, to do blogs and it, it is about collaborating now you know gone, gone are the influences i'm sorry but some of the influences um I think we need to really think about what are, what these influences are doing um, to our young people, especially the influences that are not about what's ha- really happening to the millenniums and um, our health. We need to find these young women and these young men and educate them to collaborate for the betterment of not only their own family but that of the community that they have created um, and not, you know, I, I, I don't know how to put this better, but um, they need to be the influences that are going to help with collaborations, that are going to help our farmers, um, help our local economy, help um, people find their health again. Yeah. It, it, it's quite daunting. I was with um, Kirsty Worth last night. Um, we had dinner together and I said to her, I said, um, I, I had been on a radio program and the I'd been on it quite a bit and finally one of the announcers had said to me, oh, you know, I, I have a child that has some quirky behaviour and, and I don't think she wanted to tell me exactly what was happening and I, I said to her, I said, have you looked at food? And she said, no, I haven't. I haven't even considered food. And knowing that I listened to her on the radio and knowing how she speaks, I, I said to Kirsty, I went, oh, my gosh, Kirsty, if I sent her to you, she'd think she, she'd gone into an, an alter universe. <laughs> and I said, it's almost like you have to start these people slowly. Yeah. You have to say, hey, let me have a look at what he's eating and what happens to his moods and his behaviour after he consumes this. And let's just have a look at one thing that we might be able to change, let's say his breakfast. and <laughs> Because it is, you know, like if you really look at what has to be done to get these kids well, yeah. it is daunting. Yeah. yeah, It is really daunting. And, and if you say, right, we're doing this and we're doing this and we're doing this, it, it is about managing these people that have been asleep but they've had to be woken up because they have children that have become sick and the medical model as it stands today has no answer for them. 
there has no answer. You know, they're brilliant at emergency care, but when it comes to managing chronic disease, all, all they're doing is taking the pain away. They're not fixing the problem. Um, and, and, I, and I know that they know this, and I know that they are starting to make changes, which is wonderful to see. It's daunting as a practitioner, let alone as um, somebody in the general public. I mean, it's not my job is this and um, like I, my tax is daunting for me. I'm not an accountant. So <laughs> I go and see my accountant and I was just on the phone with him before we spoke and that's he does that for me, right? That's really daunting for me. And so when people come into the clinic and they, they see a naturopath or a nutritionist or somebody who can... Um, break this stuff down for them. It can even be daunting for me, but we just start at the start and you start small and we start with those little changes and we start by trying to figure out what what the cause is because if you figure out that cause, right, we can we can change, we can make changes and and hopefully that that change can be reflected in that little boy, for example, and you know, can figure that out. And then that that's a long-term change. You know, you know that that's no good for him and we can do something different there. I mean, it's, yeah, we just start small and, and we try and work it out. Like that's all we can do. Yeah, it, exactly. And one of the, I think, the reasons uh, that my students who become graduates who then want to help other people is, is that as a practitioner, you know, your speciality is understanding what's wrong, understanding what has to be done, and then helping them the best you can while you're in the clinic situation to do the next step. And sometimes you need somebody on the ground to go, hey, look, if you need some help, we have somebody who can come into your pantry and help you do this. Yes. They can teach you how to make a, a a chicken stock. They can teach you how to ferment your foods <laughs> in an easy step-by-step -step manner, and they can help organize you so that you're able to do this. Because if you're going out there and you're buying those stocks and you're buying those fermented foods and you're buying, it's expensive. <clears throat> and and like I'm a I'm a full time working person. I'm often start I start early and I end late. But I love what I do. So sometimes you know even for myself, I get home and I go, I'm not organised. I haven't made my my fermented food. I'm mm -hmm. I'm running low on this. I haven't made my egg muffins or my um, slow cooked meats. And it's about thinking ahead and doing those things. Um, so you know, so it's easy. So. Uh, let me let me give you an example. So last week I had my summit. So every year um, my students and my graduates come and they have a day with me and we talk about how can we help our community, what can we do. We It's like a mastermind group. Mm -hmm. So last Friday it was 110 people, then um, a dinner and then graduation and then 9 o'clock the summit starts, we've got speakers, we've got 200 delegates, so I'm there all day Saturday, I'm there Saturday night with dinner, I'm there back there Sunday all day, I'm there Sunday night with dinner, and then Monday is the farm tour. Mm. So it was a matter of me coming home, dropping my clothes off, going into sleep, getting up, you know, getting my, um, my gear back on again and getting back to the conference, and thank goodness we had done meals at the conference, so I didn't have to think about meals. But then I get home Tuesday, you know, and Tuesday's back at work, and I am not organized for the week. Mm. So my whole week with food became 
uh, what's the word? Not not good. Like I still ate, but not like I would normally eat. So mm. my pestos weren't ready. My mayonnaises weren't ready. I didn't have my slow cook done. I hadn't made my egg muffins. I hadn't roasted all my vegetables. You know, I, I do this. I'm a prep girl. I get everything prepped. My fridge looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got it down to the morning. I can, my food arrives on a Friday. I stash it away in the fridge. Saturday morning, I can spend the whole morning just prepping. And do you know how much time that saves me in the long run? It's incredible. So I'll open the fridge in the morning. Breakfast will have been already part ready. I'll just have to heat it up. My lunch, I just have to pack in in, in the container um, that I always have. Goes in my little fridge bag with my freezer block and I jolly off to work, you know. (laughs) Half the battle is the prep. It is. Totally. But sometimes, you know, you need that little bit of help. You need (laughs) someone to come in and just help you organise yourself. And Mm -hmm. as a practitioner, that's really hard to do. So I feel like my students are out there to help the practitioners to do this stuff, to be on the ground, to be that person that goes into the person's home. You know, we've got to have to start doing this because we weren't taught this as children. Well, I was. My mother was amazing. But I'm, you know, towards 60 now. And But our 20s and 30s and 40-year-olds, you know, they haven't got it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? They're the ones who are, yeah, look, they are. The women of 20, 30, 40-year-olds are the ones coming to the courses to learn how to cook. Um, you know, I teamed up with this Thermomix lady just to teach people how to cook easy who have Thermomixes because there's so many and and I just love it and think it's like super easy. Um, and that, that's the age that's coming and it's the grandma bringing the daughter and then the daughter bringing her daughter and just learning the basics of how to cook quinoa, stuff like that, how to ferment a really simple sauerkraut, how to do all that stuff. And if we can teach if we can teach people how to do that, they then teach their friends and their family and then it gets passed down and it's, again, about getting back to that community um, and what we can do to help our community. And, you know, your nutrition girls are getting out there and I know that they work locally here in Newcastle at the Healthful Pantry. Um, you had some of the changing habits, um, like your Nutrition Academy graduates teaching people how to ferment and that's so cool because it's something that, um, you know, if we are not if we don't have any courses in the clinic, then we can refer them to and... They're teaching people to what they can order from the pantry and then how to use it. Uh, so it's really cool. It's really cool to have those people in the community. Yeah, and I, because the mothers, um, when the grocery store came in, the mothers stopped cooking. Mm. And so then the mothers didn't teach the children how to cook. Like my kids are lucky. Um, I taught them. My kids are now in their 20s and 30s and we, uh, that's all I did. I spent my life um, as they were little kids, either in the kitchen mm-hmm. or the sewing room. That, mm-hmm. were, that was what I did. Even though I was a nutritionist, I felt that I wanted to be home. And I was fortunate. I had a husband that was out there working. So I could spend my whole days with these kids. It was mm-hmm. outdoors, taught them how to sew. I taught them how to cook. They, they've got the basics. And people are probably thinking, oh, my gosh, those poor kids, you know. But <laughs> they the, they have the basics of uh, of how to do things. Hey, my so, two year old cracks eggs. That you know, she, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's two on the eighteenth of August this month, and she is cracking every egg that that I'll give her. <laughs> she loves it. 
We have to teach these yeah. basics. We have to go back to the, this is the, our survival mechanism. This is what the mother taught, or the grandmother taught, the mother taught, the daughter taught, the granddaughter yeah. taught, the great-granddaughter. The cultures and traditions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the cultures and traditions were always based around um, survival and survival is about food and and food preparation. When you look at the Australian Aboriginal um, people, they had a lot of toxic foods in their environment, but they learned how to prep them properly. Mm. So Warrigal Greens has lots of oxalates in it. Warrigal Greens are everywhere in Australia at the moment. I've been through every beach from mm. Queensland all the way to South Australia, and I could have lived on Warrigal Greens. They grow wild, and they were a good source of um, you know Australian spinach for the Australian Aboriginal people. But they knew to... Um, do a parboil on them and it's all it is is you lay them out get your hot boiling water and pour it over it and, and it gets rid of the oxalates mm. they knew about nadu nadu was a, a grain um that was near the cooper river and it was a source of making bread for them and they collected it they had to soak it they had to grind it and they had to cook it in order for it not to kill them <laughs> and it was a slow kill because what it did was it had a uh a, a, a protein, I think it was, in it that collected B1. So the slow kill would be a B1 deficiency, which, you know, would be a nervous system issue. And a lot of people believe that Burke and Wills perished because they had no water or food. No, they perished because they ate raw nadu. (laughs) When you look back at the history books and you look back at it, they, um, like, um, wills. They left wills with a whole bunch of nadu because he had become weak. Um, they had water because they were on the Cooper River. It's a it never dries out, and they had fish and they had animals around them and they had ammunition and they were able to eat animals and they were able to drink water. The thing they knew because of scurvy, they knew that they had to eat a plant and they watched the Australian Aboriginals in that area collect the nadu and they thought, oh, well, we can eat that. Mm. So um, when Wills was left on a tree, at a tree, because he'd become so weak because of a B1 deficiency, they left him with nadu. (laughs) (laughs) And then Burke was the same. Burke also perished. But King was with them. So there was a a third person with them and King joined the the Aboriginal people of the area and he survived. Mm. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. You know, our preparation, our cultures, our traditions, how we ferment. Every culture has a fermented food and we've lost that. All we've done is thrown the preservation of food away via fermenting um, or drying. And what we've done is that we've used preservatives such as rosemary extract. And here we come back to the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> well, it's perfect time because I, I can't thank you enough for giving me the last, you know, better, better part of an hour of your time and I think we've told everybody where they can find you and find out more um you know changinghabits.com is where they can access everything and like Cindy I don't think you're just changing habits I really do believe that you're changing people's lives and when people listen to this podcast if they haven't heard of you or even if they have I think like I've learned stuff every time I listen to you speak I learn something and I think that the listeners of this podcast will just be sitting there with their mouth wide open like I was with the rosemary extract. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, shocked, shocked. And they can then initiate change where they can in their lives based on this simple conversation and then they can find out more if they want. 
Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cindy. If you like what we do here at The Naked Naturopath, then be sure to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Mel and MG Herbs, jump onto mgherbs.com, follow us on Facebook at MG Herbs Australia and Instagram at MG Herbs Official. Please keep in mind that all advice and opinions on The Naked Naturopath are not individualized. To get the right advice for you, be sure to make a booking with Mel or your health professional. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.